Hi, friend. So are you? I've been busy. <laughs> there has been a lot of meetings and a lot of PowerPoint presentations. Um, a lot of workshops and things like that. I would like to say, um, to if anyone is listening who, um, who works in things like corporate jobs or educations where you actually have to deal with a lot of Excel spreadsheets and PowerPoints, I don't know how you guys do it and keep your composure. I was so bored. I nearly cried. Anyway, um... Well done. Well done. If you can withstand that. Um, I'm perhaps impractical in what I choose to do for a living. Um, but also I think I'm a, a little bit of a romantic where I see demons and goddesses and um, heroes and um, seductresses and enchantress and things like that as, you know, very much part of my daily life. And they're sort of my happy place. There's something magical about the world that I'm living in. Um, so I guess I'm in the right job, <laughs> I suppose. Um, anyway, when I was in one of those meetings, I found myself um, going into my happy place. And my happy place uh, at least this week, was music, or in particular, ancient music and ancient musicians. So let's crack on. Welcome to History Mad Beautiful, a podcast about the beauty, diversity, faith, and community in world history. Here is your hostess, author, and historian, Martini Fisher. In mythology, music is magic. It has the magical power to charm wild animals, uh, seduce sirens, um, even sway, um, at least in Greek mythology, Hades himself. Um, I haven't checked this for any, um, for um, all mythologies in the world, but I'm pretty sure that's the case for uh, nearly all of them, if not all of them. So, that should tell us uh, already that music is very much a part of our lives, whether you are musical or not, or whether you enjoy music or not. Um, it has been an integral part of the world culture since the prehistorical times, and discoveries of ancient musical instruments are still being made to this day. Excavations at the early Neolithic site of Jiahu in Henan Province, China, have produced what may be the earliest complete and playable multi-note musical instruments. A sarcophagus representing the oldest illustration of the seven-string lyre and double flute accompanying a ritual from the Minoan period was also discovered in Crete. Another wide variety of stringed instruments um, have also been recovered from an archaeological sites of the Indus Valley 
civilization. Now, beyond the more practical aspect of performing with these musical instruments from around the 5th century BC to the 3rd century AD, the immense impact that music has on the development of one's personality was also recognized by the ancient Greeks and Chinese philosophers. In Greece, for example, the power of music over one's disposition was emphasized by Plato, who included it as a necessity for a man's first education to form his whole person. Gymnastics were directed primarily towards a child's body, and music was directed principally towards his soul. Um, in China, the record of music, one of the most important documents in ancient Chinese musical philosophy, is included as a section in the Li Ji, uh, record of rituals, and Shi Ji, records of the grand historian. Um, both texts um, state approvingly that, um, and I quote here, music represented virtue for the ancient rulers. From a mythological perspective, the history of music in ancient Greece and the Aegean Sea begins when the people from Crete uh, dance to the sound of clashing shields and cymbals to drown the cries of the newborn Zeus to protect him from his father who planned on eating him. Later, Zeus fell in love with an impregnated Leto, and in her jealous rage, Hera then pursued the pregnant Leto to find refuge on a desolate island which was adrift on the sea. On that island, she gave birth to the twin deities, Artemis and Apollo. Zeus then brought this isolated island to a standstill at the midpoint of the Aegean and named it Delos. The Libyan poet Callimachus uh, describes in his book, um, Aetia, means causes, that all the sailors passing by Delos were required to stop and join in the songs, dances, and sacrifices held around the altar of Zeus. Orpheus, who is widely considered as the greatest musician in Greek mythology, was credited with the composition of the Orphic hymns. Like Hesiod's the uh, Theogony, the Orphic hymns served as an irreplaceable source of mythological data. Orphic poetry was recited in mystery rites and purification rituals, and those who were especially devoted to these rituals and poems often abstained from sex, practiced vegetarianism, and refrained from eating eggs and beans. This came to be known as the Orpicus Bios, uh, or Orphic Way of Life. Simonides of Zeus said that Orpheus's music and singing were so powerful that they could charm the birds, fish, wild beasts, and coax the trees and rocks into dance and divert the course of rivers. And indeed, music played a big part in Orpheus's adventures. In his adventures with the hero Jason and the um, 
and the Argonauts. Orpheus was instrumental in rescuing his shipmates from the sirens. As soon as Orpheus heard the siren's voice, he drew his lyre and kept the Argonauts in check by singing a song that offset the effect of the sirens' singing. Due to the power of his music over even Hades himself, Orpheus was also one of the handful of Greek heroes to visit the underworld and return. Uh, his wife Eurydice fell into a nest of vipers and suffered a fatal bite on her heel. Her body was discovered by Orpheus, who in his grief played much um, such mournful songs that all the nymphs and gods wept. To bring her back to life, Orpheus traveled to the underworld where his music softened the hearts of Hades and Persephone. They agreed to allow Eurydice to return with him to Earth on the condition that he should only walk in front of Eurydice and not look back until they both had reached the upper world. Orpheus then set off with his wife behind him, and in his anxiety, he turned to look at her before they reached the upper world, and Eurydice vanished from his sight forever. You know the story. In Metamorphosis, Book 10, Ovid recounts that Orpheus, I quote, had abstained from the love of women, yet many felt a desire to be joined with the poet, and many grieved at rejection. Indeed, he was the first of the Trachean people to transfer his affection to young boys and enjoy their brief springtime and early flowering this side of manhood. In the frenzy of their Bacchic orgies, the Ziconian women, followers of Dionysus, tore Orpheus to pieces. Uh, still singing mournful songs, Orpheus's head floated down the river Hebrus into the sea, where the wind and waves carried it to the island of Lesbos. And then the people of Lesbos buried his head and built a shrine in his honor near Anthesa. According to the Bhagavata Purana, Narada was the primary source of information among gods and men. In his previous incarnation, Narada was a, a Gandharva, which means male nature spirit with superb musical skills. Um, I think I wrote about them. I'll put, it, I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, anyway, he was a Gandharva who had been cursed to be reborn on earth for singing glories to the demigods instead of the gods themselves. Uh, Narada was then reborn as the son of a maidservant of a group of saintly priests. Pleased by his mother's service, the priests allowed Narada to eat some of their food which were previously offered to their patron god, Vishnu. Being an inquisitive boy, he gradually received further blessings from these sages and was allowed to listen to them discussing many spiritual topics. After the death of his mother, he decided to go to the forest in search of enlightenment. 
reaching a tranquil forest location after quenching his thirst from a nearby stream, Narada sat under a tree in meditation and concentrating on um, Paramatma, which means Supreme Self. Um, and this Supreme Self was a form of Vishnu um, within his heart as he had been taught by the priest he had served. After some time, he experienced a vision where Vishnu himself appeared before him and said that despite having the blessing of seeing him at that very moment, uh, Narada would not be able to see his divine form again until he died. Vishnu further explained to Narada that the reason he had been given a chance to see um, his form was because the beauty and love of Vishnu would be a source of inspiration and would fuel Narada's dormant desire to be with the gods again. Quite lovely, isn't it? Um, Vishnu then disappeared from his sight, and Narada awoke from his meditation, both sort of thrilled and disappointed at the same time. So both wise and mischievous, and Narada appears in a number of Hindu texts, notably the Mahabharata and the Ramayana, as well as the Puranas as a traveling musicians and storytellers who carried news and enlightenment. Like Orpheus, he traveled to distant realms and is regarded as one of the great masters of poetry and music. He carries a veena, a string instrument, known by the name Mahati, which he uses to accompany his singing of hymns and prayers and mantras. A Vaishnav enthusiast depict him as a pure elevated soul who glorifies Vishnu through his devotional songs. Uh, singing the names Hari and Narayana and demonstrating Bhakti Yoga. Uh, the Narada Bhakti Sutra is attributed to him, and Narada is also said to have already the maxims um, of Narada Murti. Um, that's from 100 BC to 480. And this is the only Dharmasastra text which deals solely with um, ju um, juridical matters. If Orpheus's music is mostly described as incredibly beautiful, Narada's music brings enlightenment. Um, he had thorough knowledge, Narada I mean, he had thorough knowledge of the six angas, which consists of pronunciation, grammar, prosody, explanation of basic terms, description of religious rites, and astronomy. He is also uh, well-versed in all that occurred in ancient kalpas, or time cycles, and is termed to be conversant with uh, nyaya, which is logic and the truth of moral science. He was eloquent, he was resolute, intelligent, and had excellent memory. He possessed knowledge of this whole universe above it, below it, and everything surrounding it, and for the rest of his life, Narada focused on his devotion, meditation upon and worship to Vishnu. After his death, 
Vishnu then blessed Narada with his spiritual form, thus returning him to his rightful place as the divine musician for the gods. Tones, as we all know, are an indispensable part of Chinese literature. As characters in poetry and prose were chosen according to tones and rhymes, um, the foundation tone was produced by Ling Lun. Ling Lun was a minister of the legendary Yellow Emperor. The, um, the book Lu Shi Chung Q, or Master Lu's Spring and Autumn Anal, um, from the 3rd century BC, says that Ling Lun came from the far west and once lived at the foot of the Kunlun range. When he heard the cries of phoenixes, the idea came to him to use these sounds to create a tempered musical system. He then made a set of 12 flutes with bamboo. This set of flutes could produce 12 tones and became the basis of music. Knowing his mastery of sound, the Yellow Emperor ordered him to cast 12 bells. This way, he invented the five notes of the ancient Chinese five-tone scale in tune with those flutes. Um, due to this order and his faithfulness in executing it, the word Ling adopted the meaning of actor in a traditional opera. Um, the Lushi Chung Kyu also credits another culture hero, Kui, uh, Kui, with the invention of music. The Emperor Shun, um, this will be around 2294 um, to two, uh, 2184 BC. Um, so that's the era of Emperor Shun. Emperor Shun appointed Kui as music minister to, and I quote, teach our sons so that the straightforward shall yet be mild, the gentle dignified, the strong not tyrannical, and the impetuous not arrogant. He also requested that Kui think of an instrument that harmonized itself with other instruments that can be adjusted so that the one instrument will not take form or interfere with another. Thus, spirits and men are brought into harmony. Kui then invented the drums as well as described the concept of the first orchestra when he said, When the sounding stone is tapped or struck with force and the lutes are strongly swept or gently touched to accompany the singing, the progenitors quietly come to the hall. The guest of Hugh takes his place, and all the princes show their virtue in giving place to one another. In the court below the hall, there are the flutes and the hand drums, which join in at the sound of the rattle and cease at that of the stopper, when the organ and bell take their place. The fact that the fire, 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 the fire,
Oh, <laughs> <laughs>